Welcome to Dietitian Boss. My name is Libby Rothschild. I'm the CEO and founder of the Dietitian Boss Method. Our company is here to help you get started in private practice even before you think you're ready. I've created a proprietary process to help you increase visibility, create organic content, enroll clients into an offer, and learn sales skills that don't even feel salesy. Listen every week to your colleagues as they're being interviewed, and we chat about their progress and success from when they got it started from zero to all the way to creating million-dollar businesses and beyond. I'm so excited today to be here with Ashley Hurst. She's uh, Crohn's underscore and underscore colitis underscore dietitian on Instagram. She is part of our executive level program. And Ashley's goal is to scale to a million dollars in her dietitian private practice. So happy to have you here today. Can you introduce a little bit more about what you do and the structure of your company? Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're a team of dietitians and we are specialized in Crohn's and colitis nutrition. And so we help people with Crohn's and colitis find remission, reduce symptoms and reduce their risk of flare in the long term. And so we do that through one-on-one programs and uh, group programs as well. Awesome. And how long have you been in operation? So I have been in business for 11 years but I've been in private practice for seven. And for a little background for the listeners who are going to probably hear this episode and think, wow, Ashley's amazing because you are. I love that you mentioned that, that you've been in business 11 years or in your own private practice for seven, because it reminds the listeners that it takes time to get to where you are. And building a team is a goal for a lot of the listeners, not everybody, but I think it's good to share what that looks like, lessons you've learned. So I know this is going to be a great episode. Can you share what made you want to go in a private practice versus working in another, maybe more typical setting for a dietitian, like clinical, or even working for another private practitioner under them. So it's kind of a funny story because I did not have an atypical, you know, a typical transition into dietetics. I graduated and did not have a clue what I wanted to do. I didn't get into the internship the first round. It took me several rounds to get into an internship and, and be able to afford it because, you know, they're about some of them are about 10, 20 grand, you know, right out of college. That's tough for a lot of people. So yeah, I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And the difficult spot that a lot of people in dietetics find themselves is you can't quite get a job right after and, or you have to have the, the money and resources to be able to take you know, half a year off and do the internship. And so that's kind of where I was. And I actually, before I was a dietitian, listed myself a couple places, really, because I couldn't get a job, I couldn't get into an internship. So I kind of just, I didn't have anything to lose in terms of listing myself somewhere and starting off with some sort of coaching. And so that's kind of how I started is I had forgotten that I listed myself somewhere and got a call from someone and they were asking for help with their gut issues. <laughs> and so that that's all kind of all how it started is I kind of transitioned, started off into virtual, immediately got a, an office space not long after that, a couple months in, and then went back to virtual <laughs> later. So yeah, so kind of not the typical transition. I was doing this before I was a dietitian and then never actually had a dietitian job. So that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And considering that you've been in private practice for seven years, you were a total innovator because private practice is, I would say, I don't have the statistics on now versus 
pre 2020, I do know that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says up to 8% of dietitians own their own business, but I can imagine seven years ago, it was even more of a ghost town. Would you agree? hundred yeah. percent. And <laughs> I would say, I think my skill set is being very resourceful because I had $500 in my bank account graduating college. And when I started my business, I literally had nothing and sort of built up enough savings to, to then do the things that I thought I needed to do to open up a private practice, but, you know, did so little resources while also dealing with ulcerative colitis, you know, had just been diagnosed like a couple years previously. Yeah. And so I had a lot of challenges and I guess looking back, I, you know, I realized like, gosh, if I could do that with such little <laughs> resource and with that kind of struggle, I really think so many more people can, you know, can do that, can start with, with, um, just a little bit, start with a bare minimum and really grow it. Okay. Joe's over. You said what you needed to say. <laughs> Mic drop. I love that. And you are very courageous, a lot of courage to be able to deal with the diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and just say, there's not a lot of positions. I have $500 to my name. I'm going to do this. So that would be, there's a name for it. It's not called like accidental. It's a t- there are different types of entrepreneurs. Like you're doing it because that's what you have to do or there's not many choices. And, and I think that's fantastic that you really took initiative. Now, looking back, just to give the listeners some context of who you are before we go into fast forward now, what would you say looking back seven years ago, what helped you, motivated you to build what you have now? Like what kept you going? Because I'm assuming that it felt lonely and that if you didn't meet that many other people, or maybe there was, but it was so few, what were your drivers, if any, to just move forward? Or was it really just money? Because there wasn't many options and, and positions. In the beginning, it, it was money. But then when I started doing it, I realized, you know, I kind of grew into love with it and grew into confidence and grew into knowing what I wanted. I didn't know all of that starting out. I just did what I could. What was your previous? I think I'm missing something that you said. Yeah. So I asked you what your drivers are. So what kind of keeps you going on a difficult day? Or I know you started for the money, but what kept you going? Because you could have gotten a clinical job or you could have worked for another private practitioner. Yeah. Okay. So I think the biggest driver was I had so many jobs that I just never, I never fit in them. Like that was what I always felt was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, why can't I keep a job? Why can't I feel comfortable in a job? Why every time I'm in a job, am I starting something on my own on the side, you know, trying to build something. And so I finally just realized, I think this is who I am. This is because I, my brain operates differently because, and I started to accept myself for who I was and what I was good at and what I'm not. And I think that's what starting something actually taught me was just that it's okay to not fit. (laughs) You know, it's okay to not fit in a job. It's okay to not be good at certain things. Sometimes you have different skill sets to have to kind of figure out over time. Yeah. Really powerful. And what helped your mindset with that? Was it talking to people, reading books? What kind of helped you stick with that? Stay on course? I think trying new things and just doing it. You know, we spend a lot of time often 
with ideas and not actualizing those ideas. And there's nothing anyone else can tell you, I think, to make yourself believe in yourself. I think you learn that from doing things, from just putting yourself out there and taking that idea that passes through and just putting some action towards it. Love it. And I will say that makes you unique because a lot of people don't take action and they listen and they're excited and they dream. But the people who actually execute on their dream are the ones that become successful and they become business operators. I can also be challenging to maintain that because there are challenges that come with being an entrepreneur and it's also beautiful. So I wanted to be able to give an honest reflection of your journey for the listeners because we're going to talk about a lot of good stuff. And I also want the listeners to know that it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? There are There's loneliness, there are hard days, there's frustrations, there's inconsistencies, there's dependability that gets challenged or you're challenged with your patience and tolerance, et cetera. So hopefully we can weave in some stories about some of the frustrations and difficulties as well, especially when we get to hiring and some of the topics that I know for more advanced practitioners like yourself are common conversations. But for a listener who's you know tuning in today, she might not even understand what that means. So I think it'll be good to chat about it. Okay. So you've given us some background. Thank you, Ashley. Gotten us to where you are today. Can you share briefly what your structure is in your company? Structure meaning? Do you have dietitians working under you? What, what do you offer? So if you could just briefly share who you have on your staff and what you offer. So we have a sense of what your business looks like. Yeah. So we're a team of three dietitians currently, and we are currently hiring our fourth and we plan to hire our fifth in the spring. So we've got a team currently. Incredible. That's so incredible. And that's a dream for a lot of people who want to hire dietitians under them. So before we get too into the logistics of that, can you share what you offer? You don't have to share price points. Just what is, is it group program, private coaching? What is it that you're selling to folks who need help? So currently we have two programs. One program is a six month program that is kind of like a hybrid. We do both group and one-on-one. And then the, we also have a three month program that includes course modules and live Q and a and private Facebook group. Fantastic. And what's your involvement? Like, what is it that you do on a typical day in the company? So I, as I've hired more people, I've recognized my skills more and recognized that I really want to support my team. So most of what I do is finding ways to support them. So finding trainings, meeting with them one-on-one, meeting as a group, and also creating content and writing blogs. Fantastic. And what's your favorite thing to do? What lights you up? I think writing for sure. Writing is what I really enjoy. Writing for your blog or are you publishing for other people? Just, yeah, just internally. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That's great. And thank you for sharing that. And the fact that you have four and you're going to be hiring your fifth is a huge milestone. And if we could, before I ask you a little bit about goal setting and budget, which are important tools for your your stage of business specifically, can you tell me a little bit about, I know you want to create a million dollar business. What sparked interest in that goal? What made you say, I want to take it to seven figures? Because that's a lofty goal. It is. And I used to think that I didn't want that up until January of this year. There were some, I think I initially started thinking about it when after I hit 100K, I started thinking about what's possible. But my, I didn't really think about it until I saw, I was looking at all these accelerator programs for people that, you know, once you hit 
250K, you can go into these accelerators. And it started to open my mind to the idea of like, wow, like I got, maybe I could do this. And I think once at the beginning of this year, I started realizing that I could hit that goal. And then in knowing that I thought, well, how, what's holding me back from making this a much bigger thing than just me and just this single-minded vision. I think having a team has taught me that team members bring important ideas and to your business that can completely shape and transform the business and the vision. And so I think in having a team, it really expanded my mind to what's possible and that I could do it and to why not? You know, I think that's what I landed on is why not reach more people? You know, why not have a say in a much bigger way, you know, be able to change and shape things and in the the space of, you know, Crohn's and colitis nutrition. Yeah. And on a scale of one to five, five being the highest, how confident are you that you'll be able to achieve that million dollar milestone? I'm actually at the place where it's more of like a knowing Like, I know that I can do that now. I plan on doing it. You know, I think that's, it's different than I wish I could. And, you know, now it's more like, no, I I will, you know, in in the next year or two. Fantastic. So what number would that be? Scale one to five, five being the highest. Oh, I would say like, yeah, five. Yay. That's so awesome. Okay. So really inspiring. I love that you're clear and confident because if you believe you can do it, like you're closer to doing it. And I believe that that's the secret to success is really having your mindset and your confidence align with that. And then of course you have to do the numbers. (laughs) So that's the next question because logistically, I mean, you can just like sprinkle fairy dust and it happens. There really is numbers associated with this that have to do with your offer, how much you can make, you're looking at revenue, profitability, et cetera. So how have goal setting and looking at your budget helped you move forward or how have you used your budget as a tool? I think looking at my numbers is crucial. I've had a spreadsheet and even in terms of keeping you motivated, I've had a spreadsheet for a while, just kind of tracking, you know, each person and what the opportunities were for growth. I think seeing the opportunities laid out really helped me to think through what it would take to get there and, and realize that it was a lot more possible than I thought. So I think having a spreadsheet and we you know with everything laid out in one place has been extremely helpful. Not only that, but just tracking as I hire people, you know, where they're spending time and understanding like how we'll actually scale because what you think in your head originally of how people are going to, what the time allotment for each thing is going to be is different than when you actually do it because you don't consider always all the other things that go into, you know, having a day full of meeting one-on-ones, you know, what, what all is involved in that. So I think really looking deeper at that has been crucial to being able to scale and grow. And has that process of you being able to look at perhaps projections to reality and then extrapolate what needs to be augmented to reach your goal and how to fit that in place and be realistic. So is that something that's been different in recent or have you always followed the same kind of process? Like how has your budget review process evolved um, as your practice has gone on with time? So when you and I started, we were, I was doing projections and then you brought in the reality part. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I've been doing projections for a while, but I also needed to look at the reality side of really breaking down where all the time is spent and how to 
Because if I didn't know that, I wouldn't be able to add more people to my team and figure out that part. So. so the logistics, the operations, so really looking at a projection is fantastic, right? And it's great to look at that and start with that and looking at where you are and how far off you are from those projections and what you need to adjust as part of the strategy. So I'm glad to hear that. Can you share anything about goal setting, how you approach it or how that's evolved to help you get closer or more confident with reaching your million dollar goal? I think in talking about it in the group calls that we do, I think that has really helped me make it more of a like formulaic. Like I didn't see that clear path until working through the program because through the program with you and Sarah, I didn't see that clear path. I thought it was kind of going with like the fluctuations of the season, you know, some the winter months would get slower and and then I would capitalize on the spring moments, but I really worked with you and Sarah on figuring out where the most of the leads are coming from and then optimizing that and starting on, you know, things like Google ads and stuff like that. And the more that I focused in on that, the more that I was able to see where most of my traffic was coming from and was able to build off of that and kind of see like, okay, well, if I increase my efforts here, I can increase it by, you know, 20, 50%. So it's more of a planned out thing rather than just guessing or kind of going with like the ups and downs of things. So yeah, more targeted approach. And have you seen a positive outcome from that yet? Or are you still waiting for that, but you have everything laid out? Yeah, I've seen a really positive impact. November, December, I think for myself and definitely for most dietitians, it tends to be kind of a lower month because people are spending, you know, lots of time with family, but actually in implementing this, this has been one of my highest months of revenue. So I'm just realizing that you just change your strategy during the low months. You don't necessarily have to be subject to the fluctuations if you know your strategy really well. That's fantastic. What a great message to send. I'm so proud and happy that you're able to identify what's working, what's getting traffic, and then double down on that. That is the most simple yet confusing thing that most practitioners don't understand, which is looking at where are people coming in or where are the majority of people coming in from and then doing more of what's working and not necessarily throwing spaghetti all over the wall. And it's easier to understand that when you've laid down your numbers and where you're able to look and see the data and make data-driven decisions, not just decisions based on emotion. So hearing you say that and knowing how you've grown as a business owner is really, really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's just really cool. So I appreciate you sharing that story. Now, when it comes, thanks you for sharing about goal setting and budget and how that tool has evolved from being a projection to looking at projection versus reality and making adjustments and seeing a positive outcome. When we talk about your team, and I love that you're enjoying leading them, how has hiring helped you grow or kind of scale your company? It's not scaling because you've got multiple dietitians and I'm not sure if you're providing service or limited, but it looks like the more you hire, the more folks you can help. So how have you perceived that as changing your business? I would say that the more that I've grown and the more that I've learned and watched my team and watched their skill sets, the more that I've sort of stepped aside and, you know, allowed them to do what they're really good at. And my biggest fear, which is every dietitian's fear, I think in growing is you're afraid that 
if I hand this over, will you know, will something terrible happen? But when I really thought about it and kind of set my ego aside, I was like, or something amazing could happen, <laughs> or you know, they could be better at it than you are. And so that's what I kind of recognized was like, I think this is they're better at it, meaning they don't get drained from one-on-one consults, whereas I do. And I do better when I'm teaching. So teaching them and in writing and creating. And so I think it was really, it's been really interesting to recognize that and really honor my own needs and my own skill sets rather than trying to push myself into, you know, something that's not a fit. That's so mature. I mean, some people will go their entire business life without knowing what they're best at, what they enjoy, or how to get there and do what they love doing. So to hear you operating in your genius zone and allowing people, like really letting go of control and allowing people to do tasks you've previously done to help your clients is fantastic. So was it as easy as it sounds, or did you have any stumbling blocks to get to where you are today? Oh, every day is a stumbling block. (laughs) Lots of like every day there's mistakes and things like even yesterday when we were on the call and, and just going through like, okay, I, I didn't adequately prepare anyone or any sort of process for the interview, you know, process. Like I didn't adequately prepare for that. So there's lots of, you know, stumbling blocks along the way. It wasn't easy at all to hand over for the first time to hand over all the the people that I had been working with and hand over the idea and the process to someone. I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things, you know, the hardest things I've had to do as a business just emotionally has been one, picking a niche and two, handing it over and delegating. Those are very hard things to do. It involves trust. It involves, you know, sticking to what really feels right. And that's, those are not easy things to do. I heard someone say a long time ago that like starting your own thing is kind of like the, it's like a fast lane to personal growth. And that's absolutely how I feel. I think it's taught me a lot about letting go and letting others shine. You know, if, if we try to step in all the time, we, we don't allow other people to have the opportunity to be really good at what they're doing or what you want them to do. Yeah. How do you think your staff, specifically the dietitians, how would they describe you and your leadership if you had to guess? Well, I don't have to guess because I hear, you know, I, yesterday I was listening to an interview and, you know, I always get worried that like, oh gosh, I hope I'm doing all the things to, you know, be good at it. So I get those same fears. I think everybody gets around leadership, but from what I've heard is they feel really safe to be able to not know something. And I think that was like such a big moment for me to hear that because if they felt afraid to bring something up, you know, then we wouldn't be learning as a team. I think that's one of our huge, one of my values. And I think our team's values that we all really value staying on kind of the cutting edge and making sure we're always learning. And so, but yeah, it felt good to hear that. That's really impressive. At what point in your seven-year career in your private practice did you come to where you are today? Is this something newer or have you always been a leader that puts your team first in a sense where they feel safe? No, I think I had a lot of self-limiting beliefs around leadership, like being more of an introverted person and kind of preferring to be alone in a lot of ways. I didn't imagine myself leading a team and didn't know if I was capable of that, you know, but in doing it, I've realized, you know, there's, there's a place for introverts to lead and there's a place for, you know, working within my skill set and, you know, and still being effective at it. It's just more about listening to, you know, what your team needs than and listening is a great skill set for introverts. <laughs> it's, it's usually important for everybody. 
and probably maybe harder for, I'm not an introvert and listening can be challenging. So I think that's really, you're doing a great job role modeling, Ashley. Um, If you were to give just one or two tips for those who are listening, who identify as introverts, who want to become better leaders, what would you say those two tips would be if you were just sum them up? I would say having downtime is pretty crucial and doing the things that give you energy, keeping those like that's the priorities and the ones that really drain you passing that along. That's pretty key. And yeah, just leaning on listening and figuring out what your team is really needing to feel good about the work they do. Amazing. I'm super impressed and inspired. So as far as lessons that you've learned from hiring, I mean, I think you just summed it up, right? You just gave two tips for introverted leaders. You're talking about making them feel safe. You're talking about operating in your genius zone. Is there any other specific lessons that you've learned, whether recently, maybe with process or in the past that you want to share when it comes to hiring? I think just having a plan and specific purpose for each area of the hiring process having like a process in place and each thing has a purpose, right? That's one thing that I'm learning as I go about is just making sure that I have a a plan in place for it and not assume that everyone's on the same page, you know, always make sure that you're communicating and offering support for the people that you're involving in that process. And you mentioned earlier support in the form of one-on-ones. What are the ways that you offer support when it comes to your staff? How do you make yourself available? So we do one weekly meeting on Wednesdays where we go over tough cases or, you know, I might use some time to educate on a new topic. So we do a little bit of that. And then, and then, you know, if people need one-on-one support, you know, I'll also schedule some time to to chat with them. And, And is that the same meeting that you shared about on a recent coaching call where you're doing case studies? Is that the same meeting that you're talking about? Or is that a different meeting? The Wednesday meetings? Yeah. That's case studies? Yeah. Okay. So that's for... Real study. Okay. So that's a client centered kind of like about your clients, but do you have a meeting that's talking internally about processes and staff and things like that with your company? We do a quarterly meeting kind of like that with just updates. Awesome. Okay. And anything you wish you'd learned sooner about building a team, anything specific? Start before you're ready, before you think you need to. Typically people wait too long. I certainly think I waited too long as well. So starting early in, in sort of thinking through how you want to grow before hiring. And why do you think people or you waited too long? What do you think that was rooted in? I definitely think it's fear. You know, it's a lot of fear. And then the remedy to the fear is having a strategy. You know, if a lot of times we're just afraid, like, can I sustain growth? Can I make sure that I that things don't go backwards? And I think if you have a strategy and a plan, that's the best remedy to that because you're not guessing as much. So the fear is, you know, kind of minimized. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. So supporting a strategy with your efforts eliminates the fear or decreases. There is always fear in entrepreneurship and it is scary. And there are a lot of ways that, you know, just joining a community can be helpful and it is part of what we signed up for. (laughs) So again, it all goes back to personal growth. So if you're afraid, it means you're growing. And if you're not afraid, there can be more complacency in my opinion. What have you learned about yourself when it comes to delegation? I love earlier, my favorite part of this episode, there's been many, was when you said the two hardest things were to niche down and let go, right? So niche down is almost you getting more clear and then letting go is kind of, you know, giving away some of the things that you do that make you you to really grow and scale the company. So what's what have you learned about yourself in that process? 
I'm learning that that leadership, like good leadership is letting go and letting your team shine, like stepping aside when we try to do for others or step in too soon, we don't give them the opportunity to really exist within their skill set and exist and learn, you know, learn how to really do it in a way that's for them and best for your team. So I guess, yeah, what I'm learning is I always thought of leadership as different when I viewed it previously, but now that I'm in it, I'm realizing, no, it's a lot about support and walking beside, but letting them take the lead on things and learning to trust. And yeah, really powerful stuff. So what do you do when you want to intervene and get in there and not trust them? And how do you handle that? I usually kind of check my ego a little bit of of like, okay, who do you think you are that you're the only person in the world that can do this? (laughs) You know, because that's so far from the truth. Like, you know, I think it's, it's our ego stepping in and saying, no, only I can do it. But that's not true. I mean, everyone is, you know, your team is very capable of doing that too. So yeah. And that's assuming that you hired well. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And to, that all goes back to process, right? So having a process in place, a job description. I know we've talked about that. Interview process, onboarding process, offering continuous support, being there when they need it, and then checking in with them. And I know we've covered those topics lightly throughout this interview. I just want to make sure it's clear that a team, it has to be a good fit. It has to be somebody who's not only capable as far as skills, but they also have to fit the culture of your company. So they have to want to join those Wednesday calls where you do reviews and quarterly when it comes to business strategy, et cetera, the right type of fit for you would be somebody who would jive well with that, right? So that I just want to make sure that part of the conversation is not dismissed for the listeners. It's not just, you know, get a team and trust them that they have to really be performing as well. So that's why at your stage of growth with operating a practice, processes are so important to have processes in place. I was wondering if we could wrap up and talk a little bit about sales. One of my favorite topics. I know that's something you and I have chat about. What would you say you've learned recently or what can you say about sales in your company? Any skill that you've thought about or things that have a tip that's helped you? I think oftentimes, maybe it's the practitioner brain that we have too as dietitians, but often we're maybe afraid to be confident in what we offer because we're afraid of like, well, I don't want to over promise or, you know, so there's some of that, I think in back, you know, you want to be honest and authentic. And I feel like you can do that while also being confident about what you offer and the results that you've had. You know, I think that's the balance that I've learned that's really important for any kind of sales calls is just owning what you do and what you deliver for people. And what's helped you get confident, just more sales calls, reflecting on it. What's helped you turn off the practitioner brain? Let me put it that way or dial it down. (laughs) Oh, so tracking, tracking results helps because you know, you're being authentic in that regard because you're actually tracking it. Yeah. I'd say tracking is like the biggest thing. And then having more experience, just keeping track of each person and their improvements. So oftentimes People are sometimes not, when we reflect, we need a moment to reflect back and actually acknowledge like the the progress that we've made. I think even our clients don't often do that enough. Sometimes we don't even recognize because it's slow progress, you know, how much progress is made. So allowing them to do that, having a call at the end where we can really acknowledge the progress that's made and then keeping track of that internally. 
Awesome. So again, we're full circle back to data-driven approach. So the beginning, we talked about more of the top of the conversation. It was about not just projections with budget, but actual reviewing actuals to to projections and then developing a strategy, looking at what's kind of, where are they most coming from with clients and how can you double down on what's working? And then we're going full circle to sales conversations and being confident by having more experience getting experienced by marketing well, because you know what works, because you're looking at your numbers and then having a data-driven approach to help you with keeping your numbers straight, right? And that's that's truly a sign of a healthy business is, is having your numbers available and then having them ready for reviews and, and making strategic decisions based on the facts and where you want to go, right? Because you need to know how you're operating now, but then having a sense of direction for where you want to go so that you can put those numbers into practice. Really awesome, Ashley. Any other final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up this episode? I feel like we touched on so many amazing topics. I would just say that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not know how to do this. I feel like acknowledging that and accepting that is really important when you're growing or starting anything. And I was gifted with a piece of advice like years ago of we had a, I was in this entrepreneurship program and they had said that just to to start things. And they said, the goal is instead of ready, aim, fire, ready, fire, aim, (laughs) and, you know, start it, try it, and then learn and adapt and realize that you're not going to know it all. I think it's the, the best advice I've been given. Yeah. Fantastic advice and really hard for a lot of dietitians to follow because we're perfectionists, because the mindset and the personal growth needed to be able to do something and iterate is not what we're taught in school. So thank you for sharing that. I agree that that's a great piece of advice. And I also think it's a lot harder than it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) So in final closing, I mean, if you were to, to simplify that piece of advice, would you just say, get started sooner, take in perfect action? Is that kind of a summary of what you just said? Yeah. Take action. Yeah. Uh, sooner. Allow yourself to grow. Give yourself yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing time with us. Thank you for being a guest. And it's just been an absolute pleasure. Can you remind everybody where to follow you on social and connect with you? It's at the Crohn's and Colitis Dietitians on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks. We are so excited to offer you support in our various programs. If you identify as a beginner and you're looking to lay down the foundations, our society program might be a great fit for you. I encourage you to go to dietitianboss.com under group coaching and apply for our experience, our transformative experience based off of my proprietary system called the Dietitian Boss Method. Additionally, we offer a higher level program called Executive to help you hire and manage a staff as you expand and scale your program, whether you're offering a membership, course, group programming, private coaching, or a combination of various different offerings. We're here to help you on your journey with developing processes and implementing the operational foundation that you need to reach your goals. A lot of our clients want to work 20 hours or less a week. And we're so proud to say that we've helped them achieve that goal. And you'll hear their stories on this podcast. Make sure to stay tuned and apply if you're looking for support to get there faster and meet some colleagues along the way who share your same growth mindset.